first off, thank you everybody for, uh, for tuning in. And most of most, thank you Tessa for taking the time uh, to chat with us in this uh, farce, virtual farce and chat. I mean, we used to have a, a regular catch-ups over, over coffee a few years ago, I guess, but now, you know, we have adapted. So yeah. uh, we're delighted to have you today here. And for those who don't know me, I'm Alessio Ventino, the founder of Forward Fooding. Uh, we believe that uh, collaboration actually can, uh, can, between corporates and startups, can really make a difference in solving some of the challenges that our uh, food system is, uh, is, uh, is affected by. Um, and uh, we've been running basically the world's first collaborative platform for about four and a half years now. Uh, started in the UK, but then developed uh, uh, all over Europe. Um, and basically now through Food Tech Data, Insight, and, uh, and our network of uh, startups, um, we really empower basically large organizations to connect and engage with, uh, with founders uh, to effectively create a broader future of food through collaboration. Um, before I get to introduce uh, uh, Tessa, a little bit about Olio, um, which is the company that she co-founded, and she will tell you a little bit more about it uh, uh, later, but uh, is an app on a mission to tackle uh, the problem of food waste in the home. Uh, it does this by connecting people who have food that they don't want or need with neighbors living nearby uh, who would like it. Um, in the just over years, just to give you an idea of also the, uh, the reach that they actually uh, have gained, um, there's grown from a local initiative, I guess, in London uh, to actually a global movement with more than 2 million members who have shared 4.5 million portions of food. Um, but without further ado, uh, let me introduce Tessa. And Tessa, if you can just please briefly introduce Olio. I, I hope I've, uh, I've given justice yeah. to, <laughs> to it, but uh, for anyone who doesn't know it. Um, and tell us a bit more about the genesis of the company and your journey actually co-founding the business. Yeah, so thank you very much. Really great to be here with you all. So as you said, Olio is an app that exists to solve the problem of food waste in the home. Um, and how we do that is by connecting people with their neighbors so they can give away their surplus food rather than throw it away. And um, Olio really was very much kind of born out of my personal experiences. So first of all, I was born and raised on a farm in the northeast of England. And um, I had either a well-spent or misspent youth, depending upon how you look at it, working incredibly hard on my parents' farm. And when you're brought up just working very, very hard day after day after day to produce food, as a result, you wouldn't dream of throwing uh, food away. And so I had always grown up with a pathological hatred for food waste. And I didn't think anything in particular about that. I went off to pursue what could be described as a fairly classic corporate career, working in a variety of industries, um, including media uh, and retail, financial services. But uh, everything changed for me uh, five years ago when I was living in Switzerland and moving back to the UK and on moving day, the removal men said to me that I had to throw away all of our uneaten food. And obviously, given I'm someone who hates food waste, I wasn't prepared to do that. So much the irritation of the packing men, I, instead of packing, set out onto the streets to try and find someone to share my food with. And to cut a long story short, failed miserably, went back to the apartment. I wasn't to be defeated. And so I smuggled the non-perishable food into the bottom of my packing boxes. And that was the uh, metaphorical light bulb moment, if you like, when I thought, this is crazy. I am having to go to these extraordinary lengths not to throw away food. There's an app for absolutely everything. Why isn't there an app where I can just let my neighbors know that here's some food 
and they can pop around and pick it up. So that was really sort of the light bulb moment for Olio. The thing that really galvanized me to launch Olio and bring it to reality was one, having the um, support of my amazing co-founder, Sasha, without whom I, I definitely um, wouldn't have done it. But two, uh, we also did desk research into the problem of food waste and what we discovered stunned, shocked, horrified, sickened us. Um, so very briefly, we discovered that globally a third of all the food we produce each year gets thrown away. Um, if food was to be a country, it'd be the third largest source of greenhouse gas emissions after the USA and China. But what really shocked us was to discover that in a country like the UK, over half of all food waste takes place in the home. And I think like many people, we'd assumed when you think of food waste, you think of retail stores. But actually in reality, um, in the UK certainly, retail stores only generate two percentage points of all food waste. Half of all the food waste takes place in the home. And so that is what really um, galvanized Sasha and I to bring Olio to life because we wanted to solve half of this enor enormous food waste problem. Oh, wow. That's again, probably a, well, a five-year journey in the <laughs> two and a yeah. half minutes. <laughs> um, great to hear that actually also started as a, as a personal, I guess, uh, experience right uh, not being frustrated about uh, not being able to actually uh, uh, swap i guess you know surplus food um fantastic and uh, i mean i know that we've been following your developments for a while uh, you even made it into the food tech 500 last year but i know that since a couple of years you've also started offering your solution uh, to corporates and 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 medium-sized companies to help them tackle actually the the issue of food waste um, can you actually expand on, on, on that and how do you, what do you actually offer them? And how has been your experience also working with large organizations? So um, us sort of moving into the B2B space happened for a couple of reasons. So first of all, we found ourselves in a real conundrum in our early days. And that was that our early adopters hated food waste. Therefore, they didn't generate any food waste. They had nothing to share. So a food sharing app with no food on it, I'm sure you can agree, is pretty useless. Um, and we had also, I think, uh, retrospectively somewhat naively, hoped that local businesses would use Olio themselves to bring additional footfall into the store. They could then cross-sell and upsell, um, and that they would want to use the app. And in reality, we discovered that they were far too busy dealing with the core day-to-day -day operations to want to deal with an app with people coming into their store to pick up their surplus food. Um, so that was one problem. And then another problem we had was just how strong the demand for food on the Olio app is. So half of all the food added to the app is requested in under one hour. And so what that meant is food was going on and off the app so quickly that often you could arrive at the app and there wasn't much food there. So again, a food sharing app with no food is pretty useless. And we solved both of these problems by saying, well, I know, why don't we take these people who have time but no food waste and partner them up with the businesses who have no time but lots of food waste. And that was how we created our Food Waste Heroes program. And so how it works is we train up uh, these volunteers uh, online. So we have eight and a half thousand food waste heroes across the country. And they essentially provide a service to local businesses. So on their allotted day, at their allotted time, they will pop out of their uh, home across the road they will go to the supermarket or the bakery or the corporate canteen or the event they will collect all of that unsold or unserved food they take it home they add it to the app within minutes that earlier neighbors are requesting it minutes later the earlier neighbors are popping around to pick it up and on average that food goes from being a waste stream potentially a waste stream in the store 
to instead Viarolio one to two hours later is being fully redistributed into the homes of the local community. And so businesses are paying us for this service because at the moment they pay a waste contractor to take that food off generally to landfill, maybe to anaerobic digestion. And instead now they're paying us to ensure that food is redistributed, redistributed and eaten by the local community. That's awesome. So effectively you've turned a cost for local businesses into an opportunity to actually redistribute that. So doing well while I guess doing good, if you will. Yeah. Um, and then you have left, I guess, these volunteers to actually take care of the whole process of uh, digitizing, quote unquote, yeah. uh, the food uh, to put it on the app. Is that right? Yes. And I think what's uh, people will often ask sort of what's in it for the businesses? Why do they do this? Uh, and there are a couple of answers to that. So, so the, the bigger picture answer is that in the same way that modern slavery was endemic in the fashion industry and is now no longer acceptable, the food, retail and events industries are in the process of going through a similar awakening, thank goodness, and recognizing that food waste is absolutely unacceptable and they need to eliminate it from every point of their supply chains. So there's just a philosophical belief that the world thankfully is moving towards, which is food should be eaten, not thrown away. But then also businesses are coming to us because their customers are shouting them out on social media, showing photographs of perfectly good food in clear bin bags out on the streets and saying this is not acceptable. Uh, and also their employees are completing employee satisfaction surveys and saying, I am not happy being paid to throw away perfectly good food every single day. I don't like it and I don't want to do it anymore. Uh, and so for all of those reasons, businesses are super keen to work with us to get to zero food waste locations. And we are able to not only obviously all the systems and processes are um, safe so we have a very robust food safety management system sitting behind everything um, but everything is fully traceable we can redistribute every single type of food even extremely short dated food you know that has a use by date of midnight that day um, and we give back impact reports so the business can know exactly how much food was saved how many people were fed uh, what the co2 impact of that was what the water saved um was etc cetera, etc cetera. that's awesome so you didn't you again use big data i guess to to provide these uh, reports back to the businesses yeah fantastic and what are, can you elaborate also a little bit more on your experience i guess working with uh, with like with large businesses as you said earlier uh, at first you know you you didn't know you know i guess whether they would put the food on the app themselves and then you quickly found out that they were far too busy you know to do that did that also entail that you had to change, I guess, some of the features of your app or adapt it, you know, to make sure that um, the, the onboarding, you know, was smooth and then you had, you know, the, the volunteers coming into the process to actually digitize the food. How was the kind of experience, you know, dealing with very, very large businesses? I know that you work with a very few, a very big, uh, actually, uh, retail chains as well. So yeah, what so was the process like? So we, we work with a number of big organizations that include people like Tesco, uh, Pret-a-Manger, Compass Catering, etc. Um, I think it's fair to say that the process has been long and slow, if I'm being very honest, because I think there's two things that are leading to that. So one, what we're doing is truly unique and novel. It's not being done anywhere else in the world. So you have a lot to prove out. Um, and then also, secondly, I think just 
due to the sheer size of these organizations, it just takes a long time to get projects through the business that require cross-functional uh, cooperation. But the great news is that once a large organization is signed up to working with you, once they've stepped over, so the sales process is extremely long, but then once you've finally got that go-ahead, they then actually want to move extremely rapidly and your business can, can scale very, very fast. Um, and I think our, our sort of our overall approach to the Food Waste Heroes program has been to start off and do everything manually at the beginning. Uh, so an, an example of this would be we would put Food Waste Heroes, so the volunteers, into a squad of people who would support a single store. So a, a store might have five or seven pickups per week. We'd have a, a um, squad of five to seven volunteers. And in the early days, we put them on a WhatsApp group. So each store had a WhatsApp group. And we reached the stage where we had a couple of hundred WhatsApp groups. Um, and then we knew that obviously that was not scalable and we needed to move that into in-app uh, messaging and chat. But the real advantage of doing stuff manually first is that when you then come to scoping the tech build that you want, you know exactly what you want and need. You know what's critical and what's nice to have. And you can just be a much more um, focused and efficient in, in your build. And so I think everything to do with the Food Waste Heroes program, and indeed everything we do at Olio, starts off with MVP. And we learn, test iterate and learn and then sort of codify it uh, later on. Got it, got it. So it sounds like you've created a blueprint to all for the for the product as well by yeah. manually, if you will, validating uh, a number of MVPs before yes. actually going to the to the customer with a proper solution. Yeah, fantastic. Right. And you touched um, briefly on uh, uh, the food the food heroes program, right? Um, I know that you you know a big chunk of your work is to create and foster a community of actually people who are. Uh, passionate about combating you know, the food waste issue. Um, what would you say is the actually primary driver for your community to use your service? Both so, on, I guess, the end user as well as we're on the volunteer side. So I think on, on both sides, they are united in the, the single thing that, that um, really motivates our audience. And, and I can say this with conviction because we've just got in our latest bit of customer research and we we are surveys and we have asked exactly kind of what is the most important thing about earlier what do you like most and for you know, three quarters of our community it's about preventing waste um, i think there is something very very human uh, in us that we have a, a natural dislike of waste which makes sense in particular when it comes to food because if you think about it it is our life source and so of course we have evolved to dislike food waste and we've also evolved actually to enjoy sharing food uh, and sometimes people point out to us oh you know an app that connects neighbors to share food isn't that a bit weird but we like to point out that actually humans have been sharing food for hundreds of thousands even millions of years and it's only the past kind of 30 40 50 years that we've been throwing away uh, away food instead of sharing it, and that's kind of the weird thing so a, a, an intense dislike of waste is what attracts people to olio what keeps them using it and raving about it is there is just this amazing feel-good feeling that you get when you share with a neighbor uh, and it's kind of hard to explain until you have had the experience so when you're giving something away um, 
as I said earlier on, kind of half of all the food added to the app is requested in under an hour. So you have this immediate sort of excitement that someone wants the item um, that you're putting up there. Often multiple people request it. So you, you never quite know who's going to pick up um, your item. And then it just feels incredible to give something to someone else for free that they most definitely want. Uh, and in some instances, they actually need. Uh, and so that can be an in incredibly fulfilling uh, experience. So and, and people are telling us that as a result of using Olio, they feel more connected to their local community. They feel safer because they know who their neighbors are. They feel empowered because they're kind of making a difference in their own way um, in the world. And especially right now, when our world feels in many ways like we're sort of more divided than we've ever been, a lot of people tell us that actually Olio is kind of representing everything that's good in the world and we're actually unifying and bringing people together um, through our sort of shared vision of the kind of communities that we want to live in, which are ones that take care of everybody and make sure that nothing useful goes to waste. That's awesome. And uh, I love the fact that again, uh, food, I guess, uh, as, you, as you pointed out uh, earlier, you know, has been kind of like the glue uh, for communities for a long time. And so, even in this difficult or you know, uh, unprecedented time is, uh, is becoming an even stronger, I guess, glue, you know, when it comes to, um, to putting you know, people together and feel them you know, less, I guess, divided. Um, fantastic. And now that uh, you brought this up, I think this is a great segue into um, talking about COVID, which uh, I guess is inevitable at this point. <laughs> Um, and besides what you just shared, did you notice actually any change in your users' behavior and engagement in regards to Audio's mission to fight food waste since social distancing was introduced? Meaning uh, it, yeah. maybe, you know, if you can elaborate more about also the fears uh, out of the survey that you just run or, you know, the, the uh, still, you know, positive uh, things that actually drive people to, to use the, the, the app. So you asked, uh, has COVID has an had an impact in, on the business? And in a word, yes. Yes. <laughs> um, so for the first two weeks or so of lockdown, um, well, for the first kind of 24 hours, we had this incredible period of uncertainty where we weren't sure if a neighbor-to-neighbor -neighbor food sharing app could even continue to exist. But um, we worked with our environmental health officer, our food safety lawyer, and also listened to our community. And it became very, very clear that we had a responsibility to ensure that Olio could continue to operate through this crisis because for many of our users, we were providing an essential lifeline, a source of food when they couldn't get it um, from anywhere else. So the most important thing that we did was we transitioned all of our pickups. So normally two neighbors would connect on the doorstep and physically hand over the item generally. And we uh, moved to make all pickups no contact, which means that you just pop the item outside a few moments before the other person is due to arrive to pick it up. And we also insisted that everybody only share um, on Olio or go pick things up as part of their daily exercise or as part of a pre-existing trip to a store. During the first two weeks of COVID, we had about a 20 to 25% sort of just drop off a cliff in terms of the number of listings added to the app. But then from that moment onwards, we have had this incredible, almost vertical hockey stick up, um, the likes of which we have never seen. And we've been waiting <laughs> four years to see, quite frankly, um, mm. of people sharing uh, 
uh, on a level and a scale that is entirely unprecedented. And I think there's a number of reasons for that. So one, I think COVID has demonstrated to people, certainly in a country like the UK, that food is valuable. Prior to COVID, I think we, uh, too many people were not aware of the true value of food. And indeed, um, an amazing campaigning organization called Hubbub uh, recently released some research which showed that over 50% of people said that they are valuing food more. And also 48% of people said that they were wasting food less. So that's been a massive um, help for us. And then the other thing, I think through COVID, uh, a lot of people have had their eyes opened with regards to just how much inequality exists on our own doorsteps in our own communities. And so I think a lot of people have been stuck in their homes, wondering what they can do, wondering how they can help and realizing that something like Olio um, is a really good mechanism for that. I think also because people have been locked down, they have been finally getting around to doing all those things they've been meaning to do, which includes sort of decluttering your cupboard. So I should also say Olio has a non-food section as well, where people can give away toiletries, kitchen appliances, books, clothes, toys, etc. things you don't want to sell, you don't want to ship half across the country, you just kind of want out of your house. So we've definitely benefited from a, a sort of nationwide Marie Kondo moment um, of everybody um, sharing their spare. And I think the, the final thing has been just this sense of community that has come out and people are saying that they value community. They want to be part of their local community. They're getting to know people for the first time. Um, and so as a result of all those factors, we're growing really, really fast. And so saving lots and lots of um, food and other household items, which would otherwise have gone to waste. That's awesome. And out of interest, I didn't know that also you have now added uh, new streams, I guess, of mm -hmm. items to the, to the app. Yeah. Did that actually start uh, with COVID or it was actually prior to that? No, that was that was prior to, to COVID. Our, our users, it was very much in response to our users. So they started themselves, even when Olia was just a food sharing app, adding non-food items. And it was uh -huh, okay. in the early days, I would be sort of deleting those listings on the back end <laughs> system. And then I realized this is just not at all scalable. Plus we hate waste of any variety. Why are we fighting it? You know, what is someone going to do with a bottle of vanish cleaning product that you know or a shower head or something like that where yeah. can they um give it away so why don't we um allow people allow to them. give those things away and create a, a special section for that so that's what we've done that's awesome that's very much about i guess uh, developing customer centric solution that yeah. <laughs> really create value for for your users fantastic um just building on uh, uh, again the today's new normal um, but maybe expanding it a little bit broader, you know, to uh, the food tech space as a, as a whole. What do you see uh, as the biggest challenge uh, that the industry is facing at the moment? And how you are, if, if it's also affecting you, trying to overcome it? Um, and if, you, if you, there is any tips or advice that you could share with fellow founders as a, I know that you're a big fan of remote working and you've been uh, mm -hmm. handling your team and I guess your extended team also remotely from the very beginning. But if there is any tips that also you can share with fellow founders on that on how to handle, you know, and, and manage uh, um, remote teams, that would be awesome. So in terms of your first question around um, challenges sort of facing the food tech industry or things I'd like to see the food tech industry address, I'm not going to talk about things that you might expect me to talk about, which are food waste, just basically having a more sustainable, equitable um, 
food system and I'm not going to talk about factory farming and all that other stuff and feeding the world the thing that I would most like to see uh, food tech and indeed all of tech embrace as a matter of priority is true and genuine diversity I really feel very very passionately that the tech industry is not sufficiently diverse um, and I particularly get frustrated by the lack of funding that goes to diverse founders so female founders for example get one percent of all vc funding male founders get 89 percent and mixed teams get 10 percent bame founders get less than one percent of funding um, and the reason why that frustrates me is because i think this sort of homogeneity in the tech industry means that to date we've been very focused on solving the problems that affect the one percent which quite frankly are not the real big massive scary problems that the world needs to address and in my experience i've been working in the sort of tech for good space um for want of a better word for the past five years and what i've seen is just an incredible diversity of founders these are people who are impacted by the real significant problems facing the world today and these people are standing up and trying to solve those problems and when those diverse founders are not able to get access to capital because of a lack of diversity amongst the gatekeepers of capital that means that these brilliant solutions to the world's biggest problems are not getting funded so um and i think it's not just about diversity amongst the gatekeepers of capital i also think it's something that each and every one of us as uh, tech founders also needs to take a real good honest look at ourselves and our own operations and see what diversity um, challenges we have and we need to all move in particular as black lives matter is, is um, very very uh, pertinent important topic right now um, we all have to move beyond being sort of not racist to being anti-racist and we need to have these conversations about what that means and i recently shared on medium uh, a blog post ref which reflects the conversations that we've had at olio as a team about this and the commitments that we've made to increase our diversity and i really would like to invite the whole tech industry to do the same absolutely i can this resonates very much with me as well i think it's a it's it's a it's a fairly underlooked actually issue um that as you said it touches the whole uh tech industry not only food tech but uh, i still think that in in you know, specifically in food tech there is a ton to be to be done still um primarily also in connecting you know some of the uh, some of these uh, uh, diverse founders, because uh, as you said, uh, especially I guess in uh, in big cities, you know, they they tend to be, we all know kind of each other after all, right? But it, it all kind of tends to be a bit uh, too closed up, you know, when it comes to also um, uh, allowing you know uh, VCs to actually invest in some of these underrepresented, you know. Um, teams, um, but you, I guess you you are a little bit of an exception, right? Because also you have actually raised the VC money. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about your experience actually doing that? Maybe from your seed round all the way to the latest rounds that you've, that you've done. I'm sure that uh, that has been a journey. Um, but yeah. it was just to kind of piggyback on what you were just uh, uh, sharing. Um, yes, I mean I have one word: exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> has been has been uh, our experience we've had to be absolutely relentless you're right we have raised financing it has felt like we've done it against the odds i.e a female founded tech for good pretty much pre-revenue remote first business <laughs> that's going to form massive crosses um from the perspective of many investors uh, but we we have just been 
I think we've had to overinvest in terms of the amount of time and energy that we have dedicated to fundraising and it has paid off um, but at a great uh, personal and emotional toll but we've done it <laughs> we will continue to have to do it um, but it, it's something that I think fundraising is something that I, I yeah, always kind of warn founders. I think you hear these stories about how hard it is and uh, without wanting to scare or depress anyone, it is just as hard um, as it sounds. But uh, I think if you kind of go into that with your eyes wide open and if you know that actually that's part and parcel of the experience, then it makes it just a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It's a bit of a sales process, isn't it? After all, if you treat it as such, it might become a little bit more pleasant, quote unquote. Yeah, it, it's just it's just like dating. So you, you sort of have to kiss a lot of frogs to, to find your prince. Okay? I love that. It's a great analogy. Um, fantastic. And uh, if you were to pick up out of your uh, all the experience that you've actually had uh, building and, uh, and fostering, you know, the business. Uh, if you have to pick up one piece of practical advice that you would give to someone actually starting out their entrepreneurial journey, what would that be? Um, so I think the most important thing would be to ensure that you adopt a learning mindset. Um, I transitioned from having a corporate career to a startup and when you work in the corporate space, you spend your whole life being kind of, uh, the expectation is that you have the answer to everything. You know absolutely everything about your particular domain. You're considered the expert within your domain. And also you make commitments uh, that you then proceed to spend the next six months or 12 months sort of delivering on. And you don't really deviate from exactly what you've committed to. To build a startup, certainly in the early stages, you almost have to unlearn all of that and you have to get comfortable with saying, I don't know the answer to that, and, but I'm going to find out. And you need to be able to kind of embrace the discomfort that comes with not knowing the answer to. And so essentially, you'll start off and on day one, you don't know the answer to anything. And then you literally, as a result of thousands and thousands and thousands of experiments and, and days and nights, you eventually become um, an expert in your own startup. But you've got to have a learning mindset and um, certainly Sasha my co-founder and I we have we both did our MBAs but actually that didn't really help us with Olio what's really helped us has been listening to podcasts reading uh, blog posts and books and just and talking to other founders and learning from other people and then the second thing um, that I would say to anybody is read the book, The Lean Startup by Eric Ries. I think it's a fantastic Bible as to a set of principles about how to go from an idea to um, a project with real traction. Yeah. And uh, specifically, I guess, in regards to your actual experience building this business, um, what would you say that has been your biggest uh, learning uh, for you personally, and also as the founder of the business? Um, and what would be the kind of advice that you would give to the to your younger self if you if you could go back in time and uh, and kind of you know as you were struggling I guess to uh, navigate the ecosystem and figure out all these answers to these uh, unknown questions? Um, what would be yeah. the biggest piece of advice you would give to yourself? So again, because I came from a corporate environment, I was very used to operating a scenario where people who existed above you in the hierarchy would sort of give feedback and generally their feedback was considered right. 
Um, and that was sort of how the world worked. One of the biggest learnings that I've had since starting Olio is that there is no such thing as right feedback and you need to seek as much feedback as possible, but every, you must stop and put everybody's feedback into context, into their specific context and their specific context might have nothing to do with your business. So it might be great feedback, but for these three reasons, it does not apply to your business. Um, and that certainly took me a long time to kind of get my head around and then to have the strength of conviction and courage and sort of get rid of the imposter syndrome a little bit to feel much more comfortable saying that's brilliant feedback and that, that I'm going to absorb and something else. Thank you for that feedback. But actually, it's not right for us. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like there is nobody who's got the answer. You need to still <laughs> validate yeah. whether, you know, that feedback has been put yeah. in, in context and into perspective to actually make it valuable for, for your business. Yeah. Um, fantastic. Thank you so much, uh, Tessa, again, for joining us today for this fantastic interview. We wish you and all the uh, team all the best for the overcoming months, hoping that also the COVID is not going <laughs> to going to affect also your behavior anymore. Otherwise, you, you won't understand anymore what, what they actually want. <laughs> uh, and uh, I look forward to catching up with you uh, soon and hopefully grab a coffee once uh, this whole thing is over and uh, we'll be allowed to do that again. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Tessa. You have a great evening. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm.